let characters grow and let characters evolve. And it's what the characters do that make this fun, that make this interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, folks. How are we doing? Hopefully, you're all keeping well. And welcome back uh, to the Forever DM, the Abbott to the Abbott and Costello of Clash of Quests. So, Clash of Quests is a, uh, a show that we stream every Saturday, and it's a bunch of Forever DMs that got bored of being Forever DMs and finally decided to get together and play the game. At the very least, tune in because it is an absolute cluster. My guest today is actually possibly the most unique <laughs> tag that I've seen in quite a while, uh, which is Jib. Uh, yeah, Jib, Jason, how are you doing today, man? You, you doing I am, well? I am spectacular. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, absolute pleasure, man. So like, just super quick before we dive in, how long have you been in and around <laughs> D&D and RPGs for? 40 years. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's, it's all right. It's, yeah, it's, I've, right. I've been a little bit. Um, yeah. We, st I started with the Red Box in 1980. <laughs> so you've got, you've got a few credentials. I, I've played a few games here and there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one or one or two. Okay. Do you know what? Like, so usually I, I start by asking people what edition that they're currently play playing, but I want to start a little bit different with, differently with you. So have you okay. played every edition of D and D? Every last one of them. What is your, I feel like you're the most qualified to say this. What's your opinion on fifth edition? I think fifth edition is a good expression of the game. I think it's a good expression of what D&D tries to do as a game. Okay. Um, and I think it makes the game accessible to players and DMs or GMs as you prefer, while keeping some truth to the original vision of, of the game. Okay. In, in full disclosure, and I don't want to get political, I do want okay. to say one thing, though. I do have some issues with Watsi from a political standpoint, and I don't want to go deep into that. That's not what we're here to talk about. Um, but I do want, in, in the nature of full disclosure, I have some issues with them as a company, mm -hmm. um, and I will continue to do so until they correct themselves. Okay, so actually, you know, that's a, this is this is quite a good opportunity for for us as well. So us here at Forever DM and Clash of Quests, until those issues are sorted out, even though we will be using obviously the five E system, everything will be homebrew, and we will not be buying anything else, and we will not be supporting Wizards of the Coast until those issues are sorted out. There are so many amazing, wonderful, creative, you know, talented people of 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 every stripe. And mm. one, I guess one of the benefits of living in Southern California, as I do, is that I get to meet them. Mm. And we have too many amazing, wonderful, talented people uh, of color, of whatever gender, of you know, whatever they, they want to identify as. That is not something that should ever inhibit anyone. And Agreed. I want those voices to be heard. If I can take two minutes and say, Watsi, get your crap together right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I back that. To make a tiny I, little bit of difference, I want to do that. No, I back that, and I would, I would urge anyone listening, even the new DMs that are just diving in. I know you guys have just got your bright, shiny player's handbook and your dungeon master's guide that's just been delivered on your doorstep, and you're itching to go. I would, in this case, argue to delve into homebrew, 
just for now. Like, you know, you can listen to this to get all the tips and tricks, but they need to sort their stuff. They need to get their stuff together. Agreed. I back you on that. And I, I respect you a lot more for bringing it up and saying it because it does need to be said. And it needs to be said from, not just said, but shouted from every, every, every single... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Every crenellated top. Okay, so you've been playing ne- like neon for forty years. That's that's incredible. Like that's that's not to not to remind you of your age. No, no, uh, that's, but that- that's fine. I I have children. They remind me of my age <laughs> every single day. I was in a bookstore with my mom, and I saw the red box, and I was like, I grabbed it, and I'm looking at the cover, and I'm like, oh, this looks so cool. And I read the back, and I was like, well, this looks like fun. I need this, and I said, hey, mom, can I get this? And mom looked at it, and she went, done. And the die was cast in that moment. Ah, your mom's awesome. Yeah, my mom was actually played. No, she's even more awesome. <laughs> that's that's incredible. Yeah. Yes, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, if your kid shows interest in in something, you should totally back that up. Yeah, I, I cool. agree. So, so your mom didn't fall for the satanic panic then? No, <laughs> no. And we actually lived in the southeastern United States at that point. I'm a little surprised, but I, knowing my mom, I'm not. So, you know. That's the, I, mean, oh, I mean, obviously now you do praise our, our Lord God, Satan. Every minute. Back, yeah, back then. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. So like over the years, have you seen, as, as far as sort of the evolution of D&D, is there anything that you wished kind of would have been brought over from other, other editions? Are you happy with the evolution? It's kind of funny. There were things about every edition that I thought were really interesting and fun. And several years ago, um, I was on a podcast and I commented that my first edition AD&D books had disappeared. I know where they disappeared to. We don't need to go into what happened to them. I know what happened. I said, you know, that if I could put my hands on a set of first edition books, that I would run a game of first edition at a convention. And one of our listeners sent me a box that contained all of them. And I was like, dude, this is so awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I will send these back to you as soon as I'm done with me. He said, no, no, they're yours. I was like, okay, well, how much do I owe you? He said, no, 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 they're yours. I'm going to make this happen. So I sat down and I started reading the first edition rules again. I was like, why did we play this? Oh my gosh, why did we, this is so painful in some places. And then I ran the play test for the game and I went, oh yeah, that's why we played this because it was fun. <laughs> and, and I think that's true of every edition. And I would, I would actually suggest to people to go back to earlier editions and play them. Okay. You know, just to get that experience because D&D as a game is, what it does is very specific and it creates a very particular game experience. And it's a fun game experience. I mean, I agree. Like, I mean, that's the reason I'm here. It's the reason we're here. Yes. Because like D&D is like, it's such a, such a great game. So again, you're literally one of the most qualified people that we've spoken to so far. I'm almost drowning in the amount of questions that I want to ask Go you. For it. Being a DM, being a player, what would you say is your sort of your top Top three tips. What makes a good D- what makes a good dungeon master? Like what makes a good game of D and D? Okay. The the big things to me are one, as a, as the DM, do not assume you know what's going to happen because you don't. I, I have said repeatedly, and this is a quote that feel free to use from use if you like. Okay. I as the DM, I know I know for a fact what is going to happen in the game right up until the moment the players step into it. From that moment on, 
all bets are off. As the DM, if I go into a game thinking I know what's going to happen, I am making what I consider to be the number one mistake of DMs. And that is, as the DM, I am not telling a story. I am the producer. I am the stage manager. I am setting things up for a story to happen. The players are who actually tell the story. Okay. So um, then would you argue that, I mean, I know we've just kind of discussed like home, homebrew and modules and, uh, sorry, improvisation versus preparation, but would you, would you then argue that you need to kind of be a little bit higher on that improvisation scale? I, I'm actually on, on both sides of this because what I, what I do is I want to know the world. I want to know the world. I want to know the people in it. And I specifically want to know what, who are they? What do they want to accomplish? What resources do they have to accomplish it? And how far will they go to accomplish it? Because if I know that, then I can respond to what the players do appropriately. Okay. So I get very detailed about those things. Okay. What I do not get detailed about is the story. What I don't care, what I don't get detailed about is the plot lines. I know what the, what these people are up to. You know, I know that this necromancer over here is trying to raise an army of undead because he wants to take over the world. Got it <laughs> on that. What I don't know is what's going to happen. Okay. That's a pretty solid tip. What about the other two? Be flexible. Okay. Okay. So for example, when you, you look at a situation, like I'm going to take something simple. There's a locked chest in a room and it has a, a piece of information in it. Okay. Okay. The critical part of this equation is not how play, the characters get into the box. The critical element of this is, is that they get the piece of information they need. Okay, so mm -hmm. when your player comes up with something really wild and, and, you know, I never thought of that. I'm gonna tell you a story in just a second. I never thought of that. Run with it, run with that. Let like, um, that happen. The rule of, uh, the rule of cool. The rule of cool. And that does not mean that everything happens the way they want to. And my third tip is going to be how to deal with failure. We're going to, because I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but I'm going to tell you a story first. Years ago, I ran a Pathfinder game that was a campaign that spanned oh, a year of real time. And on day one of that campaign, I knew what the main bad guy was up to. I knew what he was, was all about. The following year was all about building up to the confrontation with him. And when we get to that confrontation, we, we've been building up to this fight literally for a year. We, we roll initiative and the wizard in the group get, happens to get first action. I said, okay, what are you going to do? He said, rock to mud. <laughs> and he casts rock to mud in the area and drops the necromancer and all of his vampire minions into the mud. I'm like, okay, well, now they got to figure out how to get out of that. I'll deal with them in a minute when their turn comes up. Go through the rest of the round. Nothing all that exciting happens, okay? The guy, the necromancer and his minions are trying to get out of the mud, deal with, with stuff and whatnot. We come back around to the wizard and I said, okay, what are you going to do? He said, mud to stone. And I was like, oh my <laughs> God, that is brilliant. <laughs> that, that is a, a remarkably audacious, ballsy, amazing move. And I was like, that is so brilliant. I want to see that happen. I want to see how that plays out. And, and that's the thing is because I don't assume that I know what's going to happen, I can be surprised by the amazingness that happens and excited about what the players are doing. 
Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, like, yeah, you are providing a game for your players. Like, you are the conduit for that, but also you're there to have fun as well. Right. Exactly. Like, you can't you can't drop that. Otherwise, then it just becomes boring for you. But yeah, by by allowing yourself to also enjoy the aspects of the storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, you get you get to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Let it let it flow. See where it goes, and and, yeah. and be excited about that. So my third tip is is how to deal with failure. Now, failure comes up on the dice all the time. True. The question is, what does that mean? In a, if, we, if we take a binary approach to it, it means that you did not get the thing that you wanted. And that's okay. And, and there are some cases where, yeah, that's probably a, the right answer. But what if instead of saying, oh, hey, Rogue, when you were trying to pick that lock on that door and sneak by those guards and you, got the, and you failed, it's not that you can't get the door open. You can get the door open. It's that something interesting is going to happen as well. Okay. Such as? So we're sneaking through the, the Baron's castle and we're trying to break, to break into his vault because we want to steal all his goodies because that's you know, what we're about, right? Yeah, yeah totally, yeah. <clears throat> and okay, Rogue, crack that lock. You know, Rogue fails. Okay, okay, cool, awesome. You're able to open the door. That's fine. You got you. You've got the door open. However, um, it happens at that particular moment when four guards walk around the corner. Ta-da! Okay, right. So, so what, what? And the reason for that is we're not letting the failure of the on the dice block the progression of the evolving story. We're mm. using like the that. dice as a medium to make the story more interesting. I like that. That's that's actually quite that's quite an interesting flex. That I I haven't personally used, but I can see that being a real fun way to uh, to progress the story. This is a, a thing that comes to us from other kinds of games, like powered by the apocalypse games, hmm. where it's not that you don't get the thing that you wanted to do. It's that now the the GM or the MC, you know, depending on you know what they're called, now has the opportunity to do something, to make something interesting happen. Hmm. And by taking that, that philosophy and applying it to more traditional games like D&D, um, it gives me the, the freedom to say, okay, this thing happened and this thing happened as well. I like that. That's, that's, that's really cool. Like it, it's a, that's a really nice effect. Every now, every now and again, you do find yourself in a situation where like a failure just wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Like, and you have to kind of revert to things like, well, you slip on a rock. That's what happens. It I'm was gonna, raining and the I'm, previous I'm going to give day. you another one to go with it. Yeah, yeah, Never totally, roll yeah. the dice if it's not meaningful. Okay? And a good friend of mine um, who um, is one of the authors of the Fate role-playing game um, made the statement once, we only roll dice when you and I disagree about the outcome of something. Okay. That's all right. That's the yeah, only that's time we need to roll dice. If you and I agree about what's about to happen, go, let it run. Let it do its thing. And never roll the dice if it's not meaningful. And if you roll the dice, by God, make it meaningful. <laughs> okay, so on the, on the flip side of that, then I would, uh, how do you feel about the DM rolling for effect? So when the, when the DM would just, just, you know, like you as a DM, you know it means nothing, mm -hmm. but you pause and you roll the dice just to kind of add tension. What I would say is, is, that's fine up to the point where the dice hit the table. And then I would take whatever the dice say, hmm. and I would do something with it. 
Okay. So if, you know, things are bogging down, you know, they're, they're kind of, the players are kind of slowing down and, and I'm like, I want to just like juice things up, pick up the dice. Okay, cool. I just put the dice down on the table. I'm going to use that to make something happen. Okay. That's okay. That's fair. I may be simply, you know, rolling the dice randomly and going, okay, dice inspire me. Give me an an idea to work with. (laughs) So yeah, no, that, I mean, yeah, that too. But I was thinking more along the lines of, so the the players are already in a tense situation. So they are, Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're currently, yeah. So they've just opened the door to the, to the Baron's sort of treasure room. The guards have walked around the corner. You know, they, they've had a scrap with the guards. They've won. And now it's, just before you're about to roll, uh, jump back into RP. And uh, you're just like, okay, so um, yeah, you open the door. There is the treasure room in front of you and you just roll the dice for no reason whatsoever. And then the players may assume that something's about to happen and you say nothing and you're like, well, what do you guys want to do next? I, I, I get where you're going and I dig it. What I would do is I would say, I have this dice roll that I just made and it may not have meant a thing when I picked them up. And you guys walk into it and you say, and you say, okay, so what are you going to do as you go into the, um, into the, the drag into the, the vault. But you then use as a, and I'm going to use that as a springboard to say, oh, and this happens. Mm, okay. Might be something that it, I hadn't even thought of. It's not an effect that I use often, uh, but I, I've used it once or twice. That's the reason I asked. I just wanted to get your take on it. Like I've, I've used it a few times just to, just to ratchet up uh, the tension a little bit. And it, it, it usually um, results in some form of profanity from my players, um, <laughs> which, is, which is mainly what I aim for. If the, the reason that I say I would make it, I would try to then use it to make something out of it hmm. is because in my experience, I can get away with rolling the dice and not doing anything with them about three times okay. before somebody at the table figures out that I'm it's rolling the dice and it doesn't mean anything. And then mm. from that point on, they'll ignore it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, but yeah. if I use That's it fair. to do something, even if I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm going to make a note because, oh, this is a thing that they don't know about yet, but I just had, you know, the dice just gave me an idea. So I'm going to make a note. And this is going to come up in a little bit. It's not going to come up right yet. It's going to come up in a little bit. Um, now, one thing I have done is the, I'm going to hand a player a note that says, read this note with a very serious expression. Think about it for a moment and then look at me and shake your head. And, and, then, put, <laughs> and then put the note away. Um, because I guarantee you that that will have the players going, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? I like that. I did that. But then I'm going to make something happen. With, I'm going to make something out of it. I'm going to see what the players do. And I'm going to make something with it. Mm. Years and years ago, I was sitting at a table and there's a conversation going on between some players. And the player sitting next to me was fairly new. Uh, and I just looked at her and I caught her eye and I went, Boink. and she went, what? I went, and I waited a second and I looked at her again and I said, Boink. And she's now, as it happened, she had decided it was night and, you know, th- things were kind of winding down. Some of the people, the player characters were in the, in the bar. She was in the baths. She wanted to go down to the baths and take a bath. And she was the good, only person good place there. Good I need to do it. Yeah. And so I made this, this random noise. And over the next, like, 15 or 20 minutes, she got so wigged out that she ran <laughs> screaming naked from the baths because of a, of a, drip, of a water drip. <laughs> 
I like that. I'll Random take that. Sound... <laughs> Random sound effects that really mess with your players for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> so uh, we've talked about D&D and you just sort of touched upon a different RPG. Mm-hmm. What would you consider to be one of the best sort of alternatives to D&D? Like, so, you know, you don't want to play D&D, but you still want to play an RPG. What would be your, what would be your go-to? Um, it's going to depend on... Um, the nature of the game that we want to play. Okay. Um, because, and, and if I could walk you into my into my dining room, <laughs> you would see that between my wife and I, we have like two complete walls of gaming books. And her collection is bigger than mine. So. <laughs> well, there, there, there is, there, there's always, you know, at least one reason to get married. And I guess that's it. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, <laughs> but... So it's kind of like, what do I want the game to do? What do I want the, the game to present? And, and what do I want the, the game to give to, to those of us who are sitting at the table? By and large, though, probably a, a statistically high margin of the, of the time, my go-to is going to be something powered by the apocalypse. Okay. Why is that? Um, and the reason for that is that we can, we can build a game pretty quickly and we can can have games that do very, very specific things. You want teenage superheroes? I got that. You want mission-based cyberpunk? Got that. You want 1970s cops and robbers? Got that. You want, you know, whatever it is you want, There's it's there. There's something there that does that. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Apocalypse World is a game, but it's also a framework for creating a game. I, I, it's funny you should say that. Like, I literally, I mean, three hours ago, I was sitting in my my local geek bar, which has just opened up, chatting to, uh, chatting to one of the guys there. Basically, said exactly the same thing you did. He he used it to create a uh, pirate game. So yep. he was trying to get his friends into RPGs, mm-hmm. and he was like, well, "What do you like?" And he, his friends was like, oh, "I don't know, pirates." He's like, "All right then," and just came back a week later, <laughs> and was like, "Cool, we're just gonna play this." Do this. What kind of pirates did you want? Did you want Pirates of Penzance? Did you want Black Sails? Did you, you know, where, where oh do you God, want it? Pirates of Penzance RPG. I'm all about that life. <laughs> <laughs> How do we make that happen? Can we, can we do that now? Is that a thing? <laughs> we can do that. We can make that happen. I wouldn't even know what that would look like. That'd be horrific. Uh, musical be... is what it would look like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like 100%. Yeah. Like it's. A musical RPG. That's the, well. I mean, D and D. Is it D and D Beyond? Are those is it are those the folks that are working on the D and D musical right now? Ah, uh, possibly. Possibly. I think it's I think it's D and D Beyond are working on a D and D musical, which is a concept for sure. I, I like music. Um, I in in my RPGs, um, I like to bring music and sounds and things that evoke emotion. However, have you ever had your big bad guy break into a massive musical number about why he's doing what he's doing? Or she's doing what she's doing? Not a big bad guy, but no. years and years ago, random encounter, they were, they were camped. And I'm like, what do I want to do? I'm like, let's have some ogres jump, you know, attack them. Ta-da, ogres, blah, ogres. Yeah. And um, <laughs> we roll initiative and the wizard goes, I'm going to cast command. I'm like, cool, dig it. What's the command? And she goes, Sing and dance. And I went, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So the next thing we have is ogres singing, you know, singing and dancing and pixies jumping out of the bushes. And it was, hilarity ensues, which is something that I think you need once in a while in a game. You do. You you do need you do need to write an impromptu musical number. Uh, It's just every now and every now and again. 
just uh, just randomly break into Robin Hood men in tights. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> any excuse, really. This is more of a D&D related question. But what is your opinion on homebrew versus modules? Like, as a rule? Um, I think there are a lot of really great um, modules and a lot of great resources that have been created for the game over the decades that we've been doing this. Mm. My spin has always been kind of a, a mingling of things because for years and years and years, I ran my D and D games in the forgotten realms. Yeah. Um, so I used the forgotten realms framework to do my homebrew games. Mm-hmm. So I would use things from published material, but I, I've never really been good at running a published game because I never feel like I, I own it as well in, yeah. you know, in me personally to be able to, at the drop of a hat, when the players turn left, which they're going to do, um, go, okay, we're going left, but the module's all over here. Um, hmm. And, but when I'm, when it's, it's something that I've cooked myself and I'm going to give you another tip. Yeah, you wanna, you do, please do. You want to make, uh, you want to get your, your player characters invested in the game, make it personal. Make everything personal. So like uh, use their backstories that they provide. You use that backstory. It's not a weapon to be used against them. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's food for what's going on in the game. So if they tell me I have a brother that I don't know about, spectacular <laughs> we'll be bringing that in but if you make it personal for them they will be engaged they will dig they will lean into the game i know i i, I honestly i can't back that tip enough it's a really great way to, to to really up that engagement to get your players invested into the game that you're playing i, I have a question based off of that as okay. so you've got four players you know the the supposed magic number right. uh, you've got the four, four players around around your table and you, you know you decide that you're gonna use each of their individual backstories in your in your campaign mm-hmm. um like you say mm-hmm. food for the campaign how long do you spend per player do you try and keep it even or if there's one storyline that's a little bit more interesting than the others or do you literally just leave it to the the players pacing i i try to keep it even with a caveat and that is that if I have someone who is leaning out of it, there's like, you know, I'm, don't make me the center of attention. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to be that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to force you. I'm going to, I'm going to nudge you. I'm going to try to pull you a little bit, but I'm not going to force you. Okay. The other side of that token is if, if I have, and I do <laughs> have players who are like, I'm going to eat this scene completely. Great. Awesome. Slow down. Hang on. I've got somebody <laughs> over here. <laughs> Hold that thought for just a second. Well, I've got this person over here um, because I have some spectacularly good thespian players who will, you know, queue up whatever I give them. And, <laughs> and that's great. But I do yeah. want to make sure that the other players have time for what they want to do too. And, and something that I've seen GMs do, I've done it myself, um, and, and it's, it's regrettable, is when somebody over here says something, and they, they express an idea or a thought and they, that were a course of action. And then, but I, and I hear it, but I don't act on it instantaneously. But then somebody over here echoes it and I act on them. It's like, no, no, yeah. no. You've got you've to train your brain to go back to the person who, origin, who originated it. And you've got to be aware of that. Hmm. 
Yeah, um, no, I, I, yeah, that's that's very fair. And yeah. always reward them for doing things that are fun. So actually, what is your reward-based system? I use Inspiration. However, the, the main reason I used to use Inspiration was because my players weren't necessarily role players. Mm-hmm. Like it was my character does this or I would like to do this. It was never like I'm very lucky to play the, the, the Clash of Quests that we do on Saturdays because because we are all a bunch of DMs. Uh, you know, we, we role play quite well. But I used to use inspiration to re- like reward players, which would be just a re-roll. Like mm-hmm. a, a, just a just a re-roll of a dice, and you know it only lasted per game, and it never rolled over. But what what do you use for your um, reward-based system? I'll use I'll use inspiration. I will use story beats. So if if a player does something that I think is fun, or or if they even do something to stretch themselves a little bit, um, I will give them a story beat thing to reward them and encourage them to do that more. So if they lean into a scene more than they have before and you know they're more they're more into it and they they maybe make that that leap from going my character does blah blah to going well I'm going to blah 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 I'm like okay cool awesome I want to reward that so I'm going to give I'm going to take something from the story and I'm going to make it yours and I'm going to give it to you. And mechanically I like in, I like inspiration I think inspiration is a great mechanic because you know, it's here's a little way for me to to give you a thing gives you a little bit of more 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 control over over the universe for you. Yeah, I, I I personally I like it. I think it's just a nice little it's a nice little touch. Right. I've got one more question, and I want to get into something that I'm I'm super super intrigued about. So the, the, my my question is this: is over the years, what has been your favorite supplement or module that's ever been released? I, um, I will tell you that my absolute favorite module of all time. It is and always will be the sinister secret of salt marsh. I'm gonna write that down. Why is that? I was about to say without spoiling it for the listeners, and what I really meant was without spoiling it for me. Uh... <laughs> it's it's a fun intro story that lets you um, lean in and explore some fun things about characters. I'm gonna look it up. Not only uh, not only has you've been playing for forever and a day, various different podcasts and and all that jazz you wrote a game i did i did you're like a you're like a proper (laughs) grown-up oh my wife would probably disagree (laughs) (laughs) it's fine she's not here we'll claim all the things yes i did i have have been playing a, a lot of powered by the apocalypse games and i am fortunate enough to be surrounded by people who are very smart and very creative and have created games some of which have been become some of the best-selling games on the planet. And I was, and, but what I wanted to do when I sat down was, I want to learn how to create a real hack of Apocalypse World, a real and true hack of Apocalypse World. Now, let, 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 let me level set a little bit. A hack is a game that is based on the Apocalypse World engine, but changes the rules a bit to do something specific. Okay. Okay. Um, if all I'm if all I'm going to do is change the names of things, then what I'm creating is a skin, and a skin is perfectly valid and perfectly perfectly fine and wonderful. But that's not what I was wanted to do. <laughs> I wanted to create a hack. Okay. And I chucked, I, I chewed on it for a little bit. I came up with several ideas, and then I was actually watching a TV show, and I went, "That's the game. That's the game that I want to do." And what I created was a game called Bad Streets, which is a game of gritty street level crime drama 
based on TV shows from the 1970s. So like TV shows like Starsky and Hutch and Beretta and Toma and Policewoman and Mod Squad and these kinds of games. And like I real said, gritty. And, and I said, I want to do that. And, and I, I chewed on it and it, it went through a bunch of iterations. And finally, one day, uh, one of my much wiser friends than I um, said to me, so Jib, what is it that characters do in your game? And I went, whoa. Because that's, that's a deeper question than you think. You know, because the, the off-the-cuff answer is, well, they solve crimes. Wait a minute. But that's not really what I, w what I was thinking about. And I realized that the characters in this game are not detectives. They are detectives in a crime show. I can't, that, is, that is a distinction. And so when, the, when they became characters in a crime show, it set the frame for everything about the game. You know, there is no, no harm mechanic. There is no hit points concept in this game. The only way you can take harm is if you choose to in the context of the, of the TV show. And um, the only way you can get dead is, again, if you choose to. Now, what can happen to you is if you're, you're, the reputation of your character suffers. And that is your, the nice. reputation of your character with the, the audience. Nice. I like that. That's, that. that's a pretty cool mechanic. I, I dig that. It, just, it totally changed the frame of the game. And, but what I was setting out to do was learn how to create a game. Because mm. I wanted, you know, like every other gamer on the planet, at some point, you know, I went, I'm going to write a game. I'm going to make a game. The thing is, I didn't actually know what that meant. Just like, no, just like very few other people actually know what that means. Mm. The creating of a, of a, a fully-fledged and baked game that's ready for, for people outside of my head <laughs> was an effort of years to do. And when you, if you, when you look at all of these, at these games, I mean, and I'm going to pimp a couple of, of games for people right now. Um, yeah. A game called The Sprawl by Hamish Cameron. It is um, cyberpunk in Powered by the Apocalypse. It is a mission-based cyberpunk game. It is spectacular. I mean, I'm already in. It's, it's cyberpunk. I, I've just discovered cyberpunk, and it's one of my favorite systems at the moment. The thing about cyberpunk is that cyberpunk as a concept for game and as a world for game is spectacular. The mechanics of cyberpunk are painful. There, there's just so much that you have to do, and it's... it's, it's ugh. But with a, a Powered by the Apocalypse game, you know, you, you get the, the feel, you get the world, you get those things without the mass encumbering you. Another game that, and I have to give you the whole title before it actually makes sense, because it is called Tears and Kisses, A Cyberpunk Fable. <laughs> yeah, sure, that makes complete sense. This is one of the most spectacular games of all time, and unfortunately you cannot buy it. No. Because the author has not has not made it available, but I've, I've gotten to play it and it, with the author and it is a truly spectacular game. And well, you're has, gonna have to, you know, you're gonna have to bully him into releasing this in some- uh, My wife's all over it. My wife is all over it. <laughs> like emotional blackmail, physical blackmail, like anything you've got, like actual threatening of violence. Like- it's, It could happen. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> Another one of my favorite games right now is a game called Masks. 
Okay. Um, which is again, a powered by the apocalypse game. And in it, and, and this is one of the reasons why it is one of my favorites. You are teenage superheroes. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. I'm getting, um, a, I'm getting a vibe. Yeah. It is one of the most fun games I've ever gotten to run. There, there's actually a stream of, of our game of it that you can find. Uh, there are 12 sessions and um, it is some of the best game I've been involved in bar none. Sure, I'll check it out. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'm, I'm always down for a light-hearted... Uh... I'll, uh, I'll hook you up with where to find it. What the, the common thing about between all of these games is that they focus on character and on the evolving story of that character. Hmm. Because from, from day one, you know, back when I was... I mean, okay, when we were 13 and... We were, you know, it was like my concept of game prep was I'm going to draw a map. I'm going to say orcs and goblins. And, and that was my concept of game prep <laughs> when I was 13, just like everybody else. But yeah. it didn't take long for me to go, you know what? We can do more with that. We can go beyond that point. Hmm. And we can let characters grow and let characters evolve. And it's what the characters do that make this fun, that make this interesting very true so it's very true so uh bad streets is that is that going to be available for people to play, or play uh, there's um if people would like would like to have it i will happily um they can reach out to me and i will happily share the materials with them and they can go okay. play and have a great time um i am going to produce an ashcan version of the game what that means is that it's a, a cut trimmed down version um you know with not necessarily so much in the way of editing or art or things like that, but it's got, yeah. you know, what it, what it takes to do the game. And um, I'm going to make that available for free uh, oh, nice. for people. And then if people dig it and enjoy it, then maybe one day I'll actually, you know, drop some cash and make a book and that, make it available. That would, be, that would be pretty cool. So if they did want to reach out to you and get hold of that, uh, hold of that copy. How would they do that? You can find me on social media by doing a search for at jazz is blues, all one word. See, this is the thing you were doing so well, and now you're just going to you're going to annoy so many people by saying that the jazz is blues. Wasn't I'm I'm actually quoting that statement from a friend of mine from another hobby, which happens to be playing jazz and blues guitar, and he's the one who made the statement that jazz is blues and blues is jazz. It's the same thing. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like I I feel like I'd like to argue that statement on a separate podcast. I, I that, that is an argument I would love to have because I'd love to pull the music in and go. Here's how they're the same. And here's how they're not. And here's because <laughs> because I, I I worked in a blues bar for uh -huh. just just a touch yeah. over a year and it was one of the best jobs I've ever had. Sweet. We're gonna move into the last section. Okay. okay. Uh, usually at this point, I say it's my favorite bit, but this the whole episode has been pretty cool. Uh, but this is my favorite bit mainly because when we record these podcasts the way it works is that you know we we throw up uh we throw up uh, a zoom and we have a little bit of a, you know a, a couple of minutes chat you know just to kind of ease in but you don't really talk too much about the episode and like you know what's going to be asked but i always make a point to never talk about the last section because i want to see people squirm and i want to judge you horrifically for what you're about to say okay so Judge away. With that, being, with that being said i would like you to recommend uh myself and everyone listening a book a movie and a TV show. Book, a movie, and a TV show. Uh, book. 
Um, the Expanse series by James S.A. Corey. Uh, yes. It is, in my opinion, bar none, the best hard sci-fi story ever created. Does that mean it beats Ender's Game? Yep. All right, then. That's my benchmark. Ender's Game is always my benchmark for sci-fi. Uh, it, is, it is the best. And there's an RPG about it. And a TV show now. And well, a TV now. show. It's been out for a while. The, and the TV show is a pretty good representation of the book. I won't say it's perfect, but it's pretty good. Okay. Um, and I enjoy it. So um, TV shows, uh, Vikings. Yes. Although there are some technical details in some of the things that they do that aren't you know, necessarily spot on with history, it's a lot of fun. And I think they do a good job of capturing the nature of who you know, Vikings were. 100% agree. Um, and finally, movie. That's actually the hard one um, because <laughs> there are so many movies that I really like. It's hard to pick out what is my absolute favorite, but I will tell you the movie that my wife and I have watched like four times in the last month, and that is Ford versus Ferrari. Okay, sure. All right. Um, tell, and, give me, give me a, a synopsis. Um, it is the story of when um, Ford went to Le Mans to beat Ferrari. This is mid-1960s. Um, okay. And it stars Christian Bale and Matt Damon. And it is just a huge amount of fun. And uh, the characters, the way they do the characters are just spectacular. I do like Christian Bale. I, I am a fan of Christian Bale. Okay. That kind of leads me on to uh, my final question, which is the most important question that we all need to ask ourselves uh, deep down, uh, which is Dirty Dancing or Footloose? Dirty Dancing. Why? Because um, I find the characters to be more engaging and more interesting and their evolution is more interesting. Okay, I'll take that, that's fine. I really want, I, I hope people at home are keeping track uh, of these numbers because I know that I am. Uh, <laughs> guys uh, thank you very much for listening uh super appreciate it. hopefully you guys found that as interesting as i did don't worry we will 100 percent <laughs> be talking uh with jib again like 100 percent be talking with jib again but uh dude thank you so much for oh, thank you for having me on it's been a ton of fun like honestly like i mean everything there's some really great tips there as well like solid hardcore dm tips there's so many like i have an entire list on the left hand side of my screen that we didn't even scratch but yeah thank you very much guys for listening i do appreciate it don't forget uh you know step my plug uh is uh clash of quests every saturday and you're gonna need to to bug jazzy's blues uh hardcore to get that uh to get that bad streets playthrough let's let's make this a thing Thanks, folks. As always, have a great be week. Lucky. Stay safe. Stay safe, yeah. <laughs>